Welcome to Standing in Her Power Global. I am your host, Penny Sophocles. In this podcast, I speak to unique and interesting women to hear their stories and their individual approaches to life and work. Each one offers living examples of how women are evolving our society for the better. They demonstrate what they can do, you can do too. So I'm delighted today to be welcoming Paula Holland, a leading lawyer at Cooley's, a global law firm that's started in the United States, but Paula is in their London office. She's one of their leading lawyers in the compensation and benefits area. Uh, she works with emerging companies, venture capital and capital markets arenas, and in the M&A for life sciences and fintech companies. Cooley specializes in the technology, life sciences, and high growth industries. And Paula is consistently recognized in chambers for being an outstanding lawyer in her field. Paula, welcome. Thank you, Penny. I'm delighted to be with you and included in this series. Thank you, Paula. So we've known each other for quite a few years now, haven't we? And uh, this is a fantastic opportunity for me because these are some of the questions I'd like to ask you that I've never actually asked, really, uh, because so much of our time has spent on, you know, your current situation and your work. I'm always interested to understand uh, women's backgrounds, the kind of family and environment in which they were brought up in. So tell me about yours. So I grew up in the Northwest. My parents both worked. They worked in Liverpool and I'm an only child. My parents tried really hard to give me opportunities and freedoms, but I, I definitely wasn't spoiled. And it's my favorite compliment when people are surprised that I'm an only child and claim that they thought I had six brothers. <laughs> and what was that, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. My husband said he disagreed with that. So, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep that compliment. Okay, very good. <laughs> so, uh, that's in the northwest of England and uh, Liverpool. Uh, and what kind of environment was that in? You know, what was your schooling like? So I was very supported and encouraged by both my parents and my dad, who's like aged 84, is still my biggest cheerleader. And my parents made me feel that I could do anything I put my mind to and I put in the effort. And there was definitely a refrain at home, which I use now with my own children and my team in the office, which is, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And that's definitely stood me, um, stood me well. My parents didn't have a ton of money, but they sent me to private school for my secondary education. It was an all-girls school. And I believe for me, a single sex education really helped my confidence and exam success. And at school, I did everything. Yeah, I was very competitive. I played hockey, was in school plays, school orchestra, wrote for the school magazine. And then after school, I went on to Oxford to read law. Uh, well, that sounds like an amazing uh, background to have, really, um, to, to have that support, but both at home and also at school, and to be given all these various opportunities. So that's fantastic. And did you feel that applying for Oxford was just a natural step for you following the education that you had? Or, or was it, you know, a, a step too far? You know, was, was it was it a challenge in your mind? Well, I think I've always been very driven and competitive. So it seemed to me like the, the natural thing to do. And 
I'm so very lucky and it's opened so many doors for me going forward that I'm very glad that it happened. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I remember I had an opportunity to go to Cambridge and um, I turned it down for family reasons. So to to have had the opportunity and to go and um, to thrive in that environment, it's fantastic. It does actually, do you feel that it created a kind of fantastic platform for you? I do. And did you did you find that the connections that you made in Oxford, did you retain them or was it just, a, just, just did it become like a calling card that you could flash when people said, well, what's your background? Well, I think I threw myself into Oxford that I had at school. So I coxed a voting team. I ran the college uh, ball committee, partied quite hard. And yes, I have some lifelong friends who I regularly keep up with, especially female friends. And it's amazing how well they have all done. I think my best friend made um, was promoted to KC just before Christmas. Um, I have another friend who runs the economic side of RAD, a drama school. So all women successful in their, in their field, which um, makes me so happy. That is absolutely brilliant. But it does actually show you, doesn't it, that, you know, depending on the education that you have, that it can be a phenomenal platform and foundation, not just in your education and in your work, but also in the friends that you make. So why did you choose law? Was it something that uh, arose in you when you were younger or, or, or why did you choose law? So I think I studied law at university more as a vocational degree than an academic exercise. And when I was at Oxford, I decided I wanted to be a solicitor. And I'm very lucky that it all went very smoothly. I did a summer vacation scheme at a great magic circle firm who then offered me a job, paid for my studies at, at law school. And then I went to work for them for the, for the first 10 years of my career. Wow, that is fantastic. You know, you've sounds like you've had a charmed life, Paula. <laughs> well, I think when I was at school in the 80s, there were a lot of very high-profile women at the time. Here, Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister. Shirley Williams was MP for Crosby, which is where I was at school. So I thought that women could just achieve anything. I, I, I don't think I even gave it much thought. And, you know, I believed it then, and I still believe it now. Fantastic. Um, so what was your experience um, at your first, uh, you know, first working experience? Yeah. T- uh, tell me about your experience overall. So after, so you have two year training contract. And then after that, as you mentioned, I qualified into this area of compensation and benefits. It's part advisory. So we advise clients on arrangements which help incentivize and retain their people in the UK, the US and and elsewhere in the world. And it's part transactional. So we support the corporate groups um, Mm -hmm. on the remuneration aspects of M&A deals and companies um, undergoing an an IPO. And I've been a lawyer in this area for 25 years. I've worked at four law firms. And each firm has been quite different in its corporate personality, the people, the client bases. And I've learned different things from each of them in terms of the law and how to manage a practice. And each time I've moved, I've got to step up. I mean, not necessarily straight away, but based on the opportunities that that new platform has 
given me. So they were all really good moves and really good for my career. And, you know, Penny, you've played a meaningful role in most of my moves, you know, coaching me, acting as a sounding board, which has been invaluable. Thank, thanks, Paula. It's always been a pleasure and uh, always a great insight into the different law firms. As you say, they, they all, a law firm has a very different personality and the people that you meet and, and interact with also have a very different personality. Have you felt that you were able to assimilate the personalities and interact with the people around you in a meaningful way with each of them? Yes, I think so. And how have you done that? I mean, I'm fascinated. How do you do that? What What is the what is the mindset that you take? Well, I think I'm always always looking for opportunities and looking for areas of growth. And I think those areas of growth can be in different areas of how the law interacts with, you know, either changes in the economy or changes in legislation, which we need to, to flex towards, and growth in terms of, you know, law firms are very driven by their bottom lines and growth, you know, more people means more revenue. So growing the team on the back of that growth in growth in demand. Right. And do, do you feel that one of the things that you learned is actually to be a good manager of, of others? Yes. I mean, I think when I started at Cooley seven years ago, there was there was no compensation and benefits practice. And now Seven years later, it's a team of six, including just made up a new a new second partner. And it's been hard work. It's been many years in the in the making. And some of the people I've hired along the way, it hasn't worked out. But I am incredibly proud of what I've built and where we are now and what we can achieve together as a as a team. That that's great achievement. When you look back on your career journey, do you think that you 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 could have forecast where you would be when you started out or has it been a kind of evolving journey of of unknowing and, and discovery as you've gone along so I always thought you know having a job having a career being a key part of my life and being that sort of self-sufficient financially so again I think it's it, it's this evolving and reacting to where there are changes and challenges at, at work. So it is that keeping to flex your focus. I mean, throughout my career, we've had to respond to the dot-com bubble bursting in 2000, the banking crisis of 2008, and most recently responding to, to COVID. And, but that's a great thing, and that keeps it fresh. And what I love about my job is no two days are the same. It's, you know, it's not like working in a factory. Brilliant. Yes, I, I, I know that experience. Tell me about your working with men in the workplace, because certainly um, when you started, I'm sure that there was a preponderance of men in, the, in law firms uh, rather than women. So how do you feel that has played out over your, over your career? So I think I'm probably ashamed to admit that in the early years of working I thought to succeed you probably had to be like a man and be more male than than the men um so when my son is 21 and when he was small I really felt it was in the, my best interest to act at work as if I wasn't a mother 
Um, and I think the world in the early 2000s, women with small children largely moved into admin roles or they went part-time. And there wasn't just, there wasn't the focus on women being partners and trying to make more women as partners and working less than full-time and being you know, flexible working wasn't compatible with a partnership track. And so I think I responded to that by trying to take quite a male attitude. And I took a short maternity leave, you know, no photos, no baby stories in the office. And probably with the benefit of hindsight, I'm not sure that they did see me negatively or they would have seen me negatively had I done that. But I think it, it's, it's very hard as a woman, and it was hard as a woman in the workplace to just think people are making assumptions because you were a woman. Um, and I think that leads to a bit of paranoia. Yeah, paranoia or self-protection. Yeah. Uh, because, it, I, I mean, I similarly to you, you know, working in uh, the finance industry, you had to, you did feel at the time that you had to protect yourself and possibly you did, you know, there, there was, I mean, I, when there is a, I don't know what the experience was, but when it's like 80% men and 20% women, in the workplace, you do feel, you know, somewhat over overawed. <laughs> um, so do you feel, if you look back on your career now, um, what surprised you most about working? So that's a, that's, a, that's a tricky question. When I was younger, I was quite dismissive of women with good qualifications, um, some more senior than me, who decided to step away from their career and become a homemaker. And now, after many years of work, I've got a better understanding of the challenges women often have in the workplace. And we all know that women, far more than men, are often carers and have to factor in family responsibilities. And this has made me more conscious of the importance of needing to proactively support female colleagues mm -hmm. at every level. And it always surprises me when you see women not doing this. And of course, it's not just women who need to support women. And I think Cooley really gets that. And we have male ally initiatives in the office to reinforce that message. Very good. So looking at your life to date, what would you say were some of your greatest achievements? So I think my, my major and ongoing achievement is getting to a work-life balance. I've got a husband of 25 years, two children who are now 21 and 17. And over the years, I've worked hard to keep those relationships strong and balance the demands of work, so clients, the team, and my practice with being with the people I love and giving both camps the best of me. And it's hard because there's always somebody from both camps wanting something. Um, and as I've got older, I've realised that you can't give 100% to your work life and 100% to your non-work life because the maths doesn't work. So I think my achievement is probably realising that and reaching an, a, an acceptable balance and being all right with that balance in, my, in myself. Very good. Very good. So what... When you are when you're in the workplace today, and, and obviously you manage um, other people today, and presumably you manage some women, 
what do you feel that they are experiencing? How do they experience work like work as against how you experience work? Yes. Yeah, so, so um, are there any issues or causes that you championed in your in your life or your work? So, I'm very passionate. I'm passionate feminist, and I'm also very passionate about art. And when my firm Cooley moved to new offices in 2020, three of us were given a budget to put art on the walls. And there have been studies that found art in the workplace gave people an increased sense of well-being and increased feeling of belonging. So great project. And it would have been very easy to just outsource this art to an art consultant and ended up with a very standard corporate art collection. But I decided to take ownership of the project and shape it to an agenda focused on female artists. And I'm delighted that 70% of the artists on our walls are women. And we really do need to support female artists. We all know about the gender um, pay gap at work. And there's now this increasing awareness of the gender value gap in art. And I think we've been able to raise awareness of that um, in the workplace. We've had office events with um, non coolie people attending. And so that's that satisfied my, my two co-passions of feminism and art. That's brilliant. That, that, that's a brilliant... That's a brilliant uh, answer, actually, Paula. Did you get to see and meet with some of these female artists? We did, and we had a couple of them come into the office, and they all also had a very local link to London. We had one artist whose art is constructed of adding ink to paper and dipping it in the Thames and coming out with amazing, amazing pieces on the back of that. And we had another London artist who, again, an, an, an incredible woman who um, makes electronic art and does all her own um, soldiering, which is a talent I don't possess. So I'm in awe of in awe of that. Okay, that sounds brilliant, actually. So that is, you know, a, a woman being in power and you know passing on that power to others and and making their their um voice or their value seen by others so that's brilliant following on the questions then as you'd like me to <laughs> what would you say is the greatest disappointment for you where your career is concerned so not really a disappointment but over 25 years i've come across some amazing lawyers and made some great friends at the four firms i've worked so a bit like a fantasy dinner party. I would love to work in a firm with all of those people and nobody, nobody leaving. That would have, that would be amazing. Right. Okay. Well, there's still time, Paula. Indeed. You can make that happen. <laughs> you know, no one is uh, stopping you, and and that sounds like a great idea. So, would that law firm be all women or just lots of different uh, people from different uh, firms that you've worked with? I think the majority would definitely be women, but there have been some amazing, I've had some amazing male mentors as well as female mentors. So I would bring, I would bring some of, um, some of the men into the camp as well. It's always important to have a dream <laughs> for future development. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, so looking back on your life, Paula, I'm struck by how much, how competitive you are, which I always knew actually, but how active you were in your career and your background and how you took every opportunity in your school to do different things. So what has surprised you about your life 
and what you've done in it? So I think what surprises me is often when you don't achieve things first time, that that ends up being a good thing, even though at the time it might feel like the end of the world when it happens. So I didn't get into my first choice, Oxford College. I didn't make partnership in my first firm, but everything worked out in the end. And I think that's a great life lesson. You know, it teaches you not to be smug or complacent and to be grateful when you do achieve. I believe things like that happen for a reason. Although I do have to say, I passed my driving test first time and I'm not the best driver. So um, <laughs> it is better when I get things second time. But very good. That's that's a good lesson, I think, isn't it? You know, to have a somewhat um, positive view of life that actually things do happen for a reason. And one's attachment to things uh, is shouldn't always be delivered. So if you were to look back at your life, do you see any places where perhaps you compromised, felt you were silenced by others or had to negotiate your way forward? So, I mean, you know, other than what we've already discussed about the, you know, perhaps hiding, hiding motherhood at work, thinking that that was the appropriate thing to do. Mm. I can't really think of anything. And I'm not a real fan of looking back on those sliding door moments I don't think beating yourself up about what might have been and conjecturing is particularly mentally healthy. But there are obviously situations where I didn't speak out or I spoke out of turn, um, which I regret. But I think I'm sure everyone has those. But nothing I would, nothing where I feel I was silenced and no situations where I think I would would do things differently. Right. Okay. So, you know, that validates. Next question. So, you know, there isn't a major regret in your life that given the chance you would do, you would do different. No, I mean, maybe there's those, you know, those teenage dreams of becoming a singer or an actress that I didn't follow. But again, I don't think I had the talent for it. So uh, maybe it's a, it's a good thing I stuck to the law. <laughs> but you never can tell. <laughs> so looking at looking at your um, work experience again, or you're looking at your life, are there any important lessons or pieces of advice that you've garnered from your experience that you would give women today? So I think it'll come as no surprise that one of the key lessons I've learned is that women really need to pay it forward to other women. Making opportunities for junior people, especially if you didn't have those opportunities as a junior yourself. And that takes time and it takes effort. And sometimes it takes courage because you're doing things that might have a negative impact on you, but it really is the the right thing to do. And I'll give you an example. When I was a senior associate, non-partner lawyers weren't included in the submissions to the legal directories, to chambers and the legal 500. And it made me so cross the partners then were taking credit for work I thought I'd led and, you know, and been instrumental in. And I vowed then that if I could, I would do things differently. And I have. And it's wonderful when you see juniors, you know, in print, juniors receiving plaudits and they deserve those plaudits. And it's only fair. And I think the the sort of secondary advice that... I really want to pass on and again as a mantra I use with the team is to say yes to opportunities and go outside your comfort zone put yourself out there 
because you grow so much from those experiences. You learn something new, you meet new people, you go to new places, and you have to really screw your toes up and get yourself out there. And it's not, you know, it's not so much the imposter syndrome, it's just digging deep because, and any, you know, that applies to anybody. But I think as women, we sometimes find it difficult to put ourselves out there. Right. And you, you mentioned the imposter syndrome. What you don't call it imposter syndrome, do you? And no. I wouldn't either. So what is the, what is what is it, your term for that? I just think it's it's a lack of confidence. That doesn't have to be true confidence. I mean, I'm also a great believer in the fake it till you make it school that you can put on put on a good face and no one will know that inside you might be feeling a bit shaky and you know not as not as confident as what you're projecting but you can still project that confidence and i think that's absolutely key in today's workplace and you know general in life to to get on to have that belief in yourself and and present that self to other people yeah because I think it's only by trying and doing things that you've never done before that you are going to grow and you're going to learn and experience to gain the confidence ultimately that you don't have right now so without doing it and without trying and sort of jumping in uh, you won't get that experience and therefore you won't get the learning if you're open, I would really like to ask you a question because I know that one of your children is a is a daughter. Yes. You have a daughter. And do you see that the advice or help that you offer her is drawn from your experience as a child or, or more as a woman? But having had the career that you have had, what kind of lessons or advice are you offering her? So I think I think I think we probably learn from each other. So I certainly encourage BB to be the best she can be, to not think that any boy can do something better than her and that she should really follow her dreams as to how she moves forward with life. We're quite different people and I think her love of camping and the outdoors, which isn't really mine, it probably means that she'll never get a job in an office or have a profession in the standard ways that I thought about a career when I was her age. She's she's 17. And it's very interesting that to get a 17-year-old's perspective, because she is a real feminist. And when her friends at school have boyfriend issues, they have an expression which is sisters over misters, which I just love in a girl power um, environment. And she also helps, helps me navigate issues which probably we didn't have to navigate when we were 17 in terms of transgender issues and general a, a shift in vocabulary and what's what's concerning you know that next generation so I teach her to be the best she can be to just live her dreams and she teaches me what life is really like in 2023 for a, for a younger person yes I'm fascinated about that because I think the world is a different place you know from the 
early 2000s to, to, to currently, you know, very, very different. I really appreciate your thoughts. I'm fascinated um, with your background and feel that um, you've done an extraordinary, extraordinary well in your life. And uh, thank God for your parents who were obviously hardworking and supportive people to have helped you, you know, move forward uh, and to kind of have that kind of educational platform that enabled you to to become the person that you have become. Thank you, Penny. Thank you very, very much. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you for listening to Standing in Her Power Global. What has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation? Please join our Facebook group to give us your feedback and engage in the discussions there. Share this episode with others who may be interested. Thank you for listening and we'll meet again in the next episode of Standing in Her Power Global.